our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we concluded on the topic of um, hearing from God as we looked at how to hear from God. And in looking at how to hear from God, our discussion was not really on the mechanics of hearing from God, but more like the things that need to be in our lives, the things that need to be in place in our lives so that our hearing from God can be effective and that we will not be deceived in thinking that it is a man speaking when God is speaking or vice versa, uh, that it is uh, God speaking when indeed it is a man speaking. And in, in looking at that, we, we touched on four crucial things. The first one we said is that we must be on the same frequency as the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks the mind of God to us. He's also the one who communicates what God wants us to hear to us. So we need to be on the same frequency. It's not like having a radio, uh, uh, a, a radio, but you are not tuned to the frequency of a channel that you really need, even though you are tuned to some other channel, but not the frequency of the channel that you really need to be listening to. And so it is with hearing from God. You must be tuned to the channel of God. You must be tuned to the Holy Spirit. You and the Holy Spirit must be in fellowship constantly so that you can hear from God. That is one of the crucial things. And then the second thing, of course, is that the Holy Spirit is the one not just who speaks for God to us, but also is the one who sanctifies us so that in hearing we can obey. And we will talk more on that in, in, the, in the fourth aspect, which we shall also look at uh, in this review. Secondly, we mentioned the fact that we need to read our Bibles every day. But daily Bible reading is crucial because one, it helps our spiritual growth. But more importantly, secondly, and more importantly, of course, is the fact that it builds up our knowledge of who God is. We know the nature of God, the character of God, the modus operandi of God, what God can say and what God cannot say, what God can do and what God cannot do, or rather what God will not do, so that we will not be deceived by people telling us, oh, God says this, or God did not say this, and so on and so forth, or God says you should do this. For example, God, we know that God cannot ask us to go and kill somebody. It's not possible. After reading the Bible, it's not possible. Maybe in the Old Testament times he did that. But in the New Testament times, what God says to us as New Testament believers is that we should bless even our enemies. He says, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him to drink. If, if, he, if he hurts you, pray for him. There's no place where God said we should, we should attack our enemies. And so it is in the case, I'm talking of human enemies now. And so it is in the case of the believer. If you must attack anything at all. It is Satan and his cohorts who are spirits. And that's why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And these are strongholds built, erected by spiritual forces. And of course, we also mentioned the issue of prayer. We said we should pray without season. Prayer without season or praying rather without season is a matter of the relationship that you have with God. We use the uh, example of a couple. A couple that is in a good relationship, they'll communicate by SMS, communicate by WhatsApp, they communicate by um, uh, making phone calls, they communicate also face-to-face. -face. In fact, even though they may be in the same city in one day, they would be communicating back and forth because of the kind of relationship that they have. They cannot be without one another. And so, since they're not physically together, they communicate more frequently. This is even more accentuated when they travel to a different part, especially a different part of the world. And you discover that they spend their, their, their phone bills are even more uh, because of the frequency of phone calls. Sometimes they could be on the phone for an hour to two hours just talking. Sometimes it's even just, they're just talking, nothing, nothing important, but they're just talking. That is how prayer should be between the believer and God. Without ceasing, regularly, at every point in time. Oh Lord, did you see that? <laughs> I, I thought I, I thought that guy wasn't uh, doing the right thing. Oh, did you? You know, communicating with God, having that communication with God, it helps us to be able to relate more and more with God, to hear Him more. Because as we communicate with God, we get to understand how He talks. We get to know His voice for ourselves, and so we can we can know that it is God who is speaking to us. And fourthly, we mentioned that it is not just about hearing, but also doing what God wants us to do as a result of what we have heard. This is where sanctification comes in because before we were born again, we were not sanctified. And so obedience was difficult. But having been born again and been sanctified, obedience becomes a lot easier. And so when God speaks to us, we are able to hear him and we are not just able to hear him, but we are able to put to practice 
or put to put to put to implementation that which he expects us to do. Two scriptures that we, we, we left us with on the matter of hearing and, and doing are James chapter 1, verse 22 and 25, where we noted that it is not just the hearer that is crucial, but it is the, the one who hears and who does that is blessed. It is the hearer and the doer that is blessed, not just the person who is hearing. The Bible says that the person who is hearing and not doing is deceiving himself. So it is hearing and doing. That's number one. Secondly, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, we, and we, we emphasize the fact that our hearing must be with a view to observing to do. So the end point of hearing is that we are doing. So when we, when we talked about hearing from God, it is particularly with reference to our putting to practice the things that God wants us to put to practice, doing the things that God is instructing us to do. And then we concluded with the word of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 8, where I said, take heed to yourselves how you hear. Take heed to yourselves how you hear. The way we hear is crucial because some of us do not hear as we ought to hear. We Our hearing has a problem, as it were. Uh, 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 and um, we, we looked at the parable of the sower, but I'm going to give a different um, nomenclature to the four types of hearers that we mentioned in the parable of so or the sower in our last podcast. The first one, I refer, I refer to him as a, the carefree hearer. The carefree hearer is the person who lacks understanding of what he has heard, but he just leaves the, the, the meeting. He just goes right on. He doesn't know the import. He doesn't bother to, to seek the import. He is not doing anything whatsoever to, to, to find out how important what he has just heard is. He's a carefree hearer. The second one is a casual hearer. He has no spiritual depth in himself. He just goes to church, he hears a few things, and he's excited about it. But when the challenges and the tribulations of life come in, he, he falters. He's not able to hear as he should hear and then have the depth of it to understand that there will be trials and tribulation as a result of what he has heard and that, that what he has heard is to prepare him to be able to face and, and overcome the trials and tribulations that come. So he's a casual hearer. The third one is the careless hearer. The careless hearer is likened to the, 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 the soil that it, it, the Bible refers as the one that fell among thorns. The seed that fell among thorns. The, 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 thorny, the thorny soil is one that uh, the cares of this world, the pleasures of life, and the, 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 the lust for so many things come in and choke the word of God. He's a, he's a, he's a careless hearer because having heard the word of God, he does not take heed to what he has heard and does not bother to, to, to remove the things that are impeding the word from having, from bearing fruit in his life. And so he ends up being uh, unfruitful. And the last man, which is the good soil, is what, I, is, is what I've termed here, the careful hearer. The careful hearer is somebody who pays attention to what is heard. He heeds what he has heard. He has understanding of what he has heard. He, he, he perceives what it is that God is saying to him. Not only does he have understanding of what he has said, not only does he have that perception, not only does he pay attention to it, but he also has spiritual depth. And besides that, he, he's, he has eliminated worldly and fleshly lusts completely so that he's not derailed into doing the wrong things. What he has heard, he puts to practice. What he has heard, he makes sure that that thing bears fruit. This is the person who, through patience, will bring forth fruit. Now, today's broadcast, we want to discuss, want to begin to discuss a new theme, which I will be uh, introducing uh, from here. But before I introduce the subject of the new theme, I want to um, say, make a few statements, and then we'll introduce the, the, the subject of today. Now, there are many things in life that we may consider to be true, but in reality, they are not so. I'll give you an illustration. On every, on every car that's been made in recent times, of um, you have, I think there are four lights, two in front and two at the back that, you know, blinks. They are what they call directional lights or they call them trafficator lights. Now, when you want to turn to the right, you, you flick the, the trafficator in the, in, the, in the direction of the right and the, 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 the lights begin to blink, that indicating to drivers that are behind, drivers that are ahead of you, that you want to make a right turn. Ditto, you want to make a left turn, you turn the trafficator uh, uh, stick 
attached to the steering in that direction of the, of the left and the left front and back lights begin to blink indicating that you want to turn left. Now there is a, 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 a button somewhere within the car where that has a, a red triangle around it. It's called the hazard button and when that button is pressed both lights both the right and the left in front and at the back begin to flash. They begin to blink at the same time. Now, people who don't know the use of this light, particularly in Nigeria, have a very interesting way of using those lights. For example, a man is at, a, at, at an intersection and he wants to go straight on on the intersection, at, at the intersection. What does he do? He puts on the, he, he presses the hazard button and the lights begin to flash. And if you ask him why is he doing it, he says he's indicating to other road users that he's going straight. But many of the road users, some of them, of course, because they do the same thing, may understand what he's doing. But those who know the use of the flasher wonder what he, what he thinks he's doing. And then there's another, another, another set of people who put the, the, the flasher to use in a very wrong way. And these are people who drive politicians, uh, uh, people who, who drive military vehicles, people who drive police vehicles, uh, and, and uh, some other strange fellows. And you see them with, with, the, with the flashers on, and they are going at speeds that are, in fact, inhuman for the size of the road that they are on. And when you ask them, why are you doing this? Oh, they are telling people to clear out of the way. That that is what that light is for, is to make them to clear out of the way. But that is false. They believed it to be true over, over, the, over time, and they've been using it better. But that is, that is false. Now, what is the proper use of the flasher? The proper use of the flasher is, number one, to tell other road users that either you, that is the driver, or the car itself is in distress. And so whenever the flasher is being used appropriately, number one, you will notice that the car is driving slowly. Secondly, you will notice that the car is driving closer to the edge of the road to make way for those driving behind him to easily overtake him and move on because he doesn't want to impede traffic. Now, you will also find that the flasher comes on usually when the visibility on the road is low. For example, when there's heavy rainfall. At that point in time, it would be, it would be un, un, unthinkable that another car would want to overtake because the fellow is saying to you that visibility is poor, which means you also should realize that visibility is poor. And so as it's flashing, it's trying to tell you that there's something, there's someone ahead of you so that you don't uh, you know, run into him. And that's not the time to say you want to overtake. So the, the, the flasher has a purpose in, in its use. For example, when, when the car is, if, if the car were in distress and somebody were using the flasher, we would not expect him to drive over a long distance. He would drive until he can get to a mechanic shop where he parks the car for the car to be looked at. Or he drives into a filling or service station where he can get um, some mechanical help for his car before proceeding on his journey. Now, what I've just said to you now is the truth about the flasher. That is the flashing lights in the car, the hazard button in the car, and how it is to be used. But this broadcast is not about cars. This broadcast is not about the use of traffic lights or hazard lights. This broadcast is about the gospel. We want to discuss, beginning from today, in this broadcast, and maybe one or two other broadcasts hereafter, I don't know how, how long it will take us, the truth about the gospel. The truth about the gospel. Before we delve into it, the first thing we want to do is to define our terms. The first definition we want to look at, the first word we want to define is truth. What is truth? Truth is not a term that is uh, the figment of the imagination of anyone. In other words, truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Truth is not based on what I think or what anyone thinks. Truth is actually based on a person and what that person says in his word. And I'm going to use the scriptures to um, enumerate on what I want to say. And I'm turning to John's Gospel, the Gospel of John. And I'll be reading the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John. I will start reading from verse 33. But before we get there, this is when the Lord Jesus Christ was arrested by the Sanhedrin and taken to Pontius Pilate for trial. Now, when he got before Pontius Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate had done a first uh, interrogation and he found nothing so he went to the Sanhedrin who were outside the, 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 the court and uh, he told them said look I don't find anything with this guy what's your problem with him he said look and he said look come and take him and go and do whatever you want to do say no we, we can't do that we are not even empowered to 
to sentence anybody to death. You need to, you are the one to, to try him and sentence them. So anyway, he leaves them and re-enters the court to have a discussion with the Lord Jesus. Let's take it from there. Verse 33 of John chapter 18. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now, I just want to do a little digression, very crucial digression, for us to note that the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is markedly different and distinct from this world. The way the world operates is not the way the kingdom of God operates. So we cannot pick the way the world operates and want to apply it to the kingdom of God. It cannot work. We cannot use human methodology and humanistic things and say, this is the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. So we must understand the kingdom is not of this world. That's why I said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my, my, my servants would have fought. But you can see that even though he was under arrest, his servants would not fight. And he's not talking of the, the, the human servants. He's talking of angels. In the same way, the church has not been called to fight anybody. If you understand what the Bible says, you will appreciate that the church has been called to show how God can bring about salvation of people through the display of his goodness. For example... In the Bible, we are told, of course, some people have said to me that, but the, 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 the Bible teaches that we, we can kill people. I said, no, maybe under the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, and if you are a Christian, you are a New Testament believer. Under the New Testament, what we have heard is, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, feed him. Give him to drink. He says, do not curse, bless. He says, do not repay evil for evil. Instead, repay evil with good. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Ours is to pray. It is God who determines what he wants to do with the enemy, not you. And here I'm speaking of human enemies. But when it comes to spiritual enemies, and I'm speaking here of the spirit beings of Satan and his cohorts, principalities and powers, and so on and so forth. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Still, we are not called to take knives, to take machets, to take uh, guns or whatever to kill even demons. It is by the word of God in the place of prayer, using the weapons that God has given to us to do damage. And wh when we say do damage, we say delivering people who have been held captive by the imaginations of their hearts as, as that Satan had flooded it with and to bring them to deliverance. That is what the weapons of our warfare are for, is to bring deliverance to mankind. Anyway, let us continue. In verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have gone into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He says, I've come to bear witness to the truth. So whatever the Lord Jesus is saying is truth. And then he says, the only people who can accept truth are people who are of the truth. In a, in, in social, on, on the social media today, a lot of fake news, a lot of unfounded stories are being published there. The person who knows truth, the person who has fellowship with the truth, the person who loves truth, is not going to just click on and begin to spread such things. He is going to make very necessary inquiries. And I think... Two or, two or so broadcast ago, we mentioned that in a, in a world of fake news, we need to be able to hear from God. As we talk to God, God tells us that this is fake news. And even if you, you, you want to do some other research, you can go ahead and look through Google and other, do other searches to be sure that what you are about to pass on is actually the truth. If it is not the truth, if you are not convinced of the truth, don't press that button. Don't do it. Many, many lives have been lost. Many people's um, reputation have been damaged because of transmitting fake news and false stories on social media. You need to know the truth. When you are aligned with truth, you will hear the voice of God, which is always the voice of truth, and there's no falsehood in it. Now, in verse 38, 
Pilate said to him, what is truth? Brilliant question. But if, as we continue to read, you will discover something here. He says, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. It is possible that the Lord would have given him an answer if he had waited. But the moment, it's as if he was walking away and said, what is truth anyway? And he just walked away. Because, number one, he didn't know it. He didn't know that truth was standing before him. And he, he just wasn't bothered. Was like, what is truth? For him, he said, look, what is really truth? Everybody, everybody says truth is truth, truth. What I'm saying is the truth. What you are saying is the truth. What really is truth? But he didn't wait to have an answer. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, John chapter 14, verse 6, one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, had asked him a question. And in uh, verse 6, he gave an answer. He said, let me, read, let, me read, let me read verse 5 and then read verse 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I'm the way to the Father. But more importantly, I'm the truth. So what I am saying to you about being the way is the truth. Accept it and you will find your way to the Father. Are you, are you seeking a way to God? Accept Jesus Christ's word. Accept what he says to you and you will find the Father. I'm not, speaking, I'm not preaching religion here. I am speaking about a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the son of the living God, the one who is the truth, the way to God, and the, the one who is the life, the life giver. He will give you eternal life. He will make you live as he wants you to live. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John cements this aspect of the Lord Jesus as the truth. This, these are things that Pontius Pilate was not patient enough to wait to hear. Because he was not of the truth. So he wasn't interested in truth. But we are true. We are of the truth and we are interested in truth. In John chapter 1 verse 14. This is what John says of the word that was described in verse 1 through to verse 5. He says in, in verse 14 he says, And the word became flesh. Which here is, the word here is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you look at your Bible, the W is capital W. That signifies the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a noun, a proper noun for that matter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is so full of truth that there is not one iota of falsehood in him. When you say something, when you say a glass is full of water, you are saying that there is no more space to add any more water or no, more, no space for air at all in that glass. So when we say that the Lord Jesus Christ is full of truth, we are saying that there is no falsehood whatsoever in him. Indeed, in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, this is what the Lord Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. In verse 31, the Bible says, Then said uh, Jesus, then Jesus said, to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if you want to know the truth, you need to abide, spend time in the word of God. As you spend time in the word of God, you will know truth. But when you are spending time in other books that have nothing to do with the word of truth, you will not know truth. And when you have come in contact with truth, truth will make you free. You, you, you don't need to go for the deliverance of somebody laying hands on you. Just go to the word of God and you'll be made free by the truth. Finally, in John chapter 17, verse 17, John chapter 17, verse 17, when the Lord Jesus was about to depart, he prayed some prayers for his disciples, which includes us, those of us who are disciples of his Today, John 17, 17 says, sanctify them, he's praying to God, says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ truth, his word is also truth. So if you are looking for truth, you will find it in the person of Christ. You will find it in the word of God. That's where you find truth. Now let's look at the second word, gospel, because we want to look at the truth about the gospel. Let's look at the gospel. The gospel is not some feel-good message that um, massages our ego. It is not about you being made rich, you uh, being uh, free of sickness, etc. That's not it. The gospel is deeper than that. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. It is about what Jesus Christ has come 
to do for mankind in order to make man acceptable to God. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not the, the, the kind of messages that we're hearing today that have no bearing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So in talking about the truth about the gospel, we want to look at the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ says about the gospel, the truth, what the word of God says about the gospel. Let's, let's, let's look at that uh, briefly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading verse, verse 3 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and verse 4. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The truth about the gospel is that Christ died for us sinners. He died for us. He died to deliver us from sin, the punishment, the judgment of sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the only way we are going to get the truth about the gospel is from the word of God. It's not going to come from any other place. So please do not, do not, do not be weary in hearing from the, the word of God, in reading the word of God and studying it. As a matter of fact, like we said in, uh, when we're talking of how to hear from God, this is how to hear from God as we look at the word of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for sinners. Christ did not die because he was a sinner. The Bible says, he that knew no sin died for those of us who were sinners. This is the truth about the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. We're talking about the gospel of God here. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, now the purpose of the commandment is love. Sorry, I'm reading second. I'm reading. Uh, sorry, is it, I should be reading Second Timothy. I'm sorry. Second Timothy chapter one verse five. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I think I've made I've made a mistake here. I believe so. First Timothy chapter one verse fifteen. I'm so sorry. First First Timothy chapter one verse fifteen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Save sinners from what? To save sinners from the judgment of God upon sinners. There is a judgment of God upon all who have sinned. That judgment is a sentence in hell. And Christ came to save mankind from that judgment. That judgment is already made for Satan and his cohorts. It's not made for sinners. However, when a man continues in sin, that judgment will stand and will be executed upon him because he continued in the life of sin. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3, we are discussing the gospel. This is the good news. The good news is that sin has been dealt with. The good news is that you do not need to die the death of a sinner because Christ has come to pay the price for sin. Just attach yourself to him. Just believe and be aligned with him and you'll be delivered from the judgment that is coming upon sinners. In John chapter 3, from verse 16 to verse 21, we know verse 16 a lot. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is God. This is why God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came to save sinners. This is the good news, that you, you don't have to continue your sin. There's salvation for you. A Savior has come and has paid the penalty for sin. Therefore, you are free from sin's stranglehold. Now you can come and begin to serve God in a sinless state without going back to sin or without sin luring you. And everything that is required for you to walk that path has been provided along with that salvation. In verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. We're already condemned anyway. So in believing, that condemnation is lifted. And in its place, we are made sons of God. We are made children of the living God. We are not children of wrath anymore. 
We are now children of the blessing and of the grace and goodness of God. He says, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That is all. This is, this is the gospel. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Son of the living God and that he has paid the price for your sin. That's it. Two simple things. Jesus is one S, the Son of God. Second S, Savior of the world. Savior of mankind. And that's it. You believe it and you accept it and you receive it. My brother, my sister, that's all. that is all that is needed. That is all that is. Nothing more. And then you now begin a new journey in life. In verse 19, it goes on and says, And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Men who continue in sin don't want their deeds to be exposed. So they keep hiding it, they keep covering it, and continue in that subterranean lifestyle of living in sin. Some of them are so open in their sinfulness. And as far as they're concerned, nobody can talk to them. And they continue doing that. But they're already condemned. And they know that. So when somebody comes to preach the gospel to them, they, 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 they are quite aggressive in their response. Because they don't want to be told that what they are doing is wrong, even though they know that it is wrong. But they don't want anybody to tell them. So that they, maybe they think that when they stand before God, they will say, nobody told me. <laughs> but that's why we are telling you the truth about the gospel. Because many, many false prophets have gone on to be telling people different things. That's not the gospel. And people are happy to go to those meetings and get excited. Yet, they still live in their sins. In verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. One of the things that happens when you come to salvation is that you begin to be, you begin to grieve for the sinful life that you have been living. I tell you this, as long as you love your sins, you cannot be saved. The day you, 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 you receive Christ, the first one of the first signs is that your hatred for sin will become clear. You will have to, you cannot love sin and be born again. It's not possible. It's just not possible. The two don't mix. Because to be born again is to be born of the Spirit of God that is holy. And so you cannot love sin and be born again. In verse 21, it says, But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in when you become born again, you are open to everything. You are open to God. You are not quarreling with God. You are not fighting. You are open to God. Whatever God wants to do with you, you accept. This is what the gospel is about. The gospel, and now we we'll go to the second thing, and we are still introducing the subject. So the truth about the gospel is that it is not about meat, drink, job, finances, houses, cars, uh, wife, children, and so on and so forth. Rather, it is about attaining to the righteous standard of God. It is about having peace with God. It is about having a joy that is unexplainable and inexpressible. You can only experience it. That is the truth about the gospel. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The Bible says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. One of the things, I mentioned hatred for sin. Some other things that begin to happen to you when you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have accepted him into your life. I mentioned hatred for sin, which is righteousness. Because righteousness is the pursuit of God's way in doing anything, which is clearly at variance with sin. So you will hate sin and you love righteousness. In fact, I think it's Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 that says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and of course all those who uh, would apply to that. He says, Thou hast loved righteousness and has hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. I'm not talking of some, we're not talking here of some, some fake anointing. We're talking here of the anointing by God himself places on a man. Not the one that we boast about, but the one that God has indeed placed on. It is the result of hatred for iniquity and the love of righteousness. That's what the Bible says here. The kingdom of God is about that righteousness. The second thing is that it is about peace. And when you come to the salvation of God, you will have peace with God. There is a, an inner peace that you have, regardless of the turmoil around. You may indeed not have a job. You may indeed be sacked from your office. You may go through many of the challenges that people of the earth face, but you will not be phased by those things. Why? 
because you have peace with God. You have that confidence that you are not you are not an enemy of God, but now you are a child of the living God. You are at peace. You are not running away from God. You can draw close to God. You can go too close to God. You can tell God everything that you want to tell him. The third thing is that joy that you cannot explain, you cannot express it. You just know that you have joy. People will be wondering, what is making you excited? They look at your state. You are still in a state of penury. You probably still don't have a job. You probably don't have life going okay for you. Yet, there's that joy that is there. And even you cannot explain it. You only can experience it. You can't even express it. It's something welling up on the inside. The Bible calls it the joy in the Holy Ghost. Because it is the result of the Holy Ghost in you. Removing everything that shouldn't be there. And giving you a wellness as it were. On the inside, this, my brothers and my sisters, is true prosperity. People have money and yet they are sad. You need to go and talk to some rich people. They will trade that money for that for, for peace. They will trade money for joy. They will trade money for anything. Those things that we have freely as born as being born again. They will trade money for that. The only problem is they don't they don't believe that you can get it without paying for it. That is their problem. And they need to be told that it is free. But cunning and crafty men are taking money from them and unable to deliver because you cannot buy it. It comes as a, as a result of personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the truth about the gospel is that it is a um, message. It's a message of the salvation of man from the punishment of God that is resting upon all men. You see, every man that is a sinner has upon his head the judgment of God that is hanging. In Jude chapter 1, Jude is only one chapter actually, but so that we just don't uh, say it. Jude verse 14 and 15. Jude verse 14 and verse 15. The Bible says, and it's speaking here of, um, speaking here of people who, false prophets who have been going around saying all kinds of things. And of course, it's also speaking of the, the, the man who is a sinner in general. In verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, that is against God. The Bible is telling us here, there is a judgment, there is a punishment that is coming on all sinners. The truth about the gospel is that Christ died for us so that we need not go through this punishment. The book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel puts it more succinctly when he was speaking to the Jews of his day and which actually can still be expressed to those, to, to those of us who are living today. Ezekiel chapter 18, and I'm going to read the last three verses, that's verse 30 through to 32. Ezekiel 18, verse 30 through to 32. Therefore I, this is God saying, speaking now. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Repent, turn away. The word repent means turn around from this cause of destruction, uh, this, of this, this cause of this, the, the destruction that you have embarked upon. Turn around and come to the side of deliverance. Come to the side of salvation. Come to the side where your sins are forgiven you, where you can walk free instead of walking in fear. In verse 31, it says, Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die? O house of Israel. It's the same thing God is speaking to us today. Get out of this life of sin. Come, God says to you, I will give you a new heart, a heart that will yield to God, a heart that will listen to God. I'll put in you a new spirit, the spirit of the Holy Ghost that he will put in you, that will enable you to obey him, that will enable you to walk in his ways. That is what God is offering us. And in verse 32, this is God's plea to you listening out there. It says, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and leave. God does not have joy in killing sinners. He has no joy in punishing sinners. He has no joy in judging sinners. That is why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to come, to deliver sinners from that judgment. 
heart. God wants us to turn and return to him. He wants us to turn away from our sins and come to him. He is pleading and that is the message of the gospel. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. Peter is here speaking about when God, why, 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 why the Lord Jesus Christ is delaying in his coming. Because many have said, oh, but he says, oh, he's coming, he's coming. We've not, every day we are hearing Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. But right now he's seeing it. Look at verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That's the promise of the return of Christ to judge the world. As some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason why many of us are spared it's not because of our intellect. It's not because we drove the car in a particular way. No, it is because of the goodness of God in averting that disaster. So if many of us had died before we got born again, we would go to hell. God does not have pleasure in people walking into hell. He has made a provision. Why don't you turn back from this course, this path that you are following? This is what the gospel is about. To bring men away from following a path that is leading them to perdition and bringing them to the path where they can walk with God and listen to God, hear God and take direction from God and begin to live a new life. Not to say, I'm born again, and then you get into greed and avarice, you get into selfishness, you get into fightings, you get into deceptions, you get into deceit, and so on and so forth. That's not it. You're not born again. You are still living the life of sin. We must understand this. That the issue is not living a life of sin, but living a life of righteousness. That is the truth about the gospel. It was brought to man to deliver man, to save man from sin and from fleshly living. This was the command that the Lord gave in Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, from verse 46, when he was speaking to his disciples. Then he, that is the Lord Jesus, said to them, This thus, rather, it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day. It was necessary for him to suffer, to die, and to, to be buried, and to resurrect the third day. Because of the salvation that he brought for man, he died, he paid the price of death, went into hell, preached to those who had died before he came, and then, and then arose again for our own justification, those of us who are still alive. In verse 7 it says, And that repentance and remission of sins, the doing away of sins, should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Have you seen what we are supposed to be preaching? This is the gospel. Preach to people that sin has been forgiven. What wonderful news. That is why it is called the good news of the kingdom of God. That sin has been forgiven. That sinners can now come to God. And all they need to do is accept that they are sinners. And receive Jesus Christ into their lives. That is what he called us to preach. He did not ask us. To go and tell people that they will ride cars. He did not ask us to go and tell people that they will build houses. He did not tell us to go and begin to, 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 to bring healings to people for no just cause. Yes, heal, but please preach that salvation is available to them. If there's one thing that all of mankind needs, it's the salvation that God has given to mankind. In Acts chapter 13, the apostles went ahead and began to preach this. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38 uh, and 39, we read the, the message that uh, Paul preached. Uh, I think it was in Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. Pisidian Antioch is where he preached. He says in verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, speaking to the, the, to the Jews whom he had been preaching to, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of of sins. The sin has been forgiven. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Many people are trying to please God. That's why crafty men are taking advantage of you. They want to please God by giving money. They want to please God by going to church. They want to please God by buying something for the pastor. But God is not pleased by those things. The only thing that pleases God is that you are attached to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the only one who perfectly pleased God. Everything that we have is in him. The Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. I think there was a fellow in, in Acts chapter 8 who took money and he wanted, he wanted the gift of the Holy Spirit and gave money. Peter said to him, your money perish with you. 
That is the message to all of you who are following men, who are taking money from you. You cannot buy it. What you need is to go and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of whether you have money or not. The salvation is free. That is why the people who don't have money easily get it. But people who have money, they can't get it. Because they think it is something to be bought with money. The truth about the gospel is that sin has been forgiven. You have no business continuing in sin. Recognize that you are a sinner. Go to God and say, Lord, I need a savior. I can't save myself. Money can't save me. My houses can't save me. My relationship with a pastor can't save me. Knowing prophets can't save me. Having a, a, a long list of teachers, of, of, of prophets and pastors and apostles on my phone is not going to save me. I need you to save me. That's all that you need to do. I tell you the truth. And there's that inner peace that comes into you once you've done it. And that is the truth about the gospel. In Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, I'm going to read, uh, I'll try and read it. Well, it's lengthy, but let me see, let me see how we can take it fast. Acts 26, 12 to 29. This is Paul's defense. But the reason why we're reading this defense of Paul is because he explains the truth about the gospel in this defense. Acts 26 from verse 12. It says, while those occupied, he's talking about uh, going to, he was, he, was, he was actually one who was going to arrest Christians. He wasn't always a Christian. He was a, son, he was a member of the Sanhedrin going to arrest Christians. We could, talk, we, could, we could liken him to a member of Boko Haram who has, been made up, who has made up his mind to kill Christians or some, 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 some other religion, uh, re religious fellow who has made up his mind that he wants to do away with the Christians. This was what he was doing. So we, we, don't, we don't pray against even the Boko Haram people. No, we pray that God will convert them. That is the truth of the gospel. We, we are not their enemies. They may be our enemies. They may see us as enemies. But we don't see them as enemies. We see them as lost souls who need the truth from God to be, to, to, to be saved from the, the, the stranglehold that they found themselves in. Verse 12. It says, While those occupied, while I was occupied going to jail Christians, as I journeyed to, to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at, at midday, O king, Talking of King Agri to King Agrippa here. Um, along the, the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why is he sending him to the Gentiles? In verse 18, he says, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. This is the truth about the gospel. To get that darkness out of your life and bring it to light. From the power of Satan to God. To deliver people who are steep in the power of Satan and bring them to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Do you see it? And an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I'd advise you to go ahead and read the other things. But this is the this is the truth about the gospel. Man is a sinner. Go and preach. He said, the Lord just told him, I want you, I'm calling you to go and preach that sin has been forgiven. Go and tell the, the Gentiles who are still in darkness. We were called barbarians at that time. And anybody who does not know God is in that category of a barbarian. Go and tell those people, whether you're a politician, whether you're a president, whether you're a senator, whether it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a businessman or even a messenger in an office or whatever you are, forgiveness for sin is available. That is the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Finally, the truth of the, about the gospel is that it is about a person. It is about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done to make it possible for all of mankind to be reconciled in a loving relationship with God, their maker. This is the truth about the gospel. It is not about those cars and those things that people are talking about. No! It's about Jesus Christ. What he did when he hung on that cross at Calvary. When his blood was spilled. When, when, when he was buried and how he arose again. To sit and confirm that as many as will come to him, knowing that their sins are forgiven. The same way he was raised from the dead. That same way, though they die physically, they will rise spiritually. That is the truth 
about the gospel. It is the truth that we, in, it is this truth that we intend to espouse to you going forward. I'm now, I'm, I'm now trying to close. Is this true that we want to express to you going forward? The next, in the next gospel, in the next uh, broadcast, we're going to discuss more of this. We want you to appreciate what the gospel really is about. And if we are going to do that, we must start at the beginning. In our next broadcast, we'll take off from here. How this, how things happened, how God decided on what he would do for mankind so that we can know what the truth about the gospel is. And not allow ourselves to be deceived by the cunning craftiness of men who are seeking nothing but their own belly and are leading men into hell, knowing that they themselves are never ever going to hell. But God loves you and God does not want you to follow them to hell. That is why he wants you to understand today that though you were a sinner, I use the word carefully and I'm using it in past tense. Though you were a sinner, you can today, this instant, walk freely as a child of the living God. What does it take? Repent. Turn your life around. Go to God. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I can't even help myself. I've tried many times to stop this life of sin, but I've not been able to. I have heard your word today, and I want to turn around my life. I want to turn away from living a life of sin. And I've heard that the gospel message is about changing that lifestyle, this old lifestyle of sin, and coming into a lifestyle of righteousness. I want this from you, Lord. Help me. I need your help. And I tell you, my brother, my sister, God will send a witness in your heart that your sins have been forgiven you. What is that? What are those witnesses? Righteousness. That is hatred of sin. You will suddenly hate the sins that you were committing. So freely, you will hate them. Secondly, you will have peace in your heart because now you have peace with God. You will not be afraid of God. You may find it strange entering into the four walls of a building called church, but you will go there with peace in your heart. And thirdly, there's going to be a joy that you cannot explain to anybody, that you cannot express to anybody, that people cannot understand. They will just know your condition will still be as horrible as it is, yet they will know that there is a change in this person's life. They will discover that the things you loved to do before, which were sinful, you now cringe from those things. They will discover that the friends that you used to keep, you no longer keep them. Nobody's going to tell you what to do. The Spirit of God, when it comes into you, will begin to speak to you, and will begin to direct you, or begin to lead you. He will lead you to the place where you, should, where you can worship God. The place where God is going to teach you His own word through those who have been prepared to teach such things. Until we meet again, my prayer is that as many as will listen to this message, who are yet to have surrendered their lives to God, even though they may be going to church, that they will do the right thing and they will see the signs of salvation upon their lives. Until that time, I say to you, God bless you and goodbye.